Part two, chapter twenty-four of *The Patrician* by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part two, chapter twenty-four. Left alone among the little mahogany tables of Gustard's, where the scent of cake and of orange flower water made happy all the air, Barbara had sat for some minutes, her eyes cast down, as a child from whom a toy has been taken contemplates the ground not knowing precisely what she is feeling. Then, paying one of the middle-aged females, she went out into the square. There, a German band was playing De Lieb Coppelia, and the murdered tune came haunting her, a very ghost of incongruity. She went straight back to Valley's house. In the room where three hours ago she had been left alone after lunch with Harbinger, her sister was seated in the window, looking decidedly upset. In fact, Agatha had just spent an awkward hour. Chancing with little Anne into that confectioner's where she could best obtain a particularly gummy sweet which she believed wholesome for her children, she had been engaged in purchasing a pound. When looking down, she perceived Anne standing stock-still, with her sudden little nose pointed down the shop, and her mouth opening. Glancing in the direction of those frank, inquiring eyes, Agatha saw to her amazement her sister, and a man whom she recognised as Courtier. With a readiness which did her complete credit, she placed her sweet in Anne's mouth, and, saying to the middle-aged female, Then you'll send those, please. Come, Anne, went out. Shocks never come singly. She had no sooner reached home than from her father she learned of the development of Milton's love affair. When Barbara returned, she was sitting, unfeignedly disturbed and grieved, unable to decide whether or no she ought to divulge what she herself had seen, but withal buoyed up by that peculiar indignation of the essentially domestic woman whose ideals have been outraged. Judging at once from the expression of her face that she must have heard the news of Bilton, Barbara says, Well, my dear angel, any lecture for me? Agatha answered coldly, I think you were quite mad to, to take Mrs. Knoll to him. The whole duty of woman murmured Barbara, includes a little madness. Agatha looked at her in silence. I can't make you out, she said at last. You're not a fool. Only a knave. You may think it right to joke over the ruin of Milton's life, murmured Agatha. I don't. Barbara's eyes grew bright, and in a hard voice she answered, The world is not your nursery, angel. Agatha closed her lips very tightly, as who should imply than it ought to be. But she only answered, I don't think you know that I saw you just now in Gustard's. Barbara eyed her for a moment in amazement and began to laugh. I see, she said, monstrous depravity, poor old Gustard's. Still laughing that dangerous laugh, she turned on her heel and went out. At dinner and afterwards that evening, she was very silent having on her face the same look that she wore out hunting, especially when in difficulties of any kind, or if advised to take a pull. When she got away to her own room, she had a longing to relieve herself by some kind of action that would hurt someone, if only herself. To go to bed and toss about in a fever, for she knew herself in these thwarted moods, was of no use. For a moment she thought of going out. That would be fun, and hurt them too but it was difficult. She did not want to be seen and have the humiliation of an open row. 
Then there came into her head the memory of the roof of the tower where she had once been as a little girl. She would be in the air there, so she would be able to breathe, to get rid of this feverishness. With the unhappy pleasure of a spoiled child taking its revenge, she took care to leave her bedroom door open, so that her maid would wonder where she was, and perhaps be anxious, and make them anxious. Slipping through the moonlit picture gallery, on to the landing, outside her father's sanctum, whence rose the stone staircase leading to the roof, she began to mount. She was breathless when, after that unending flight of stairs, she emerged onto the roof at the extreme northern end of the big house, where, below her, was a sheer drop of a hundred feet. At first she stood a little giddy, grasping the rail that ran round that garden of lead, still absorbed in her brooding, rebellious thoughts. Gradually she lost consciousness of everything save the scene before her. High above all neighbouring houses, she was almost appalled by the majesty of what she saw. This night-clothed city, so remote and dark, so white-gleaming and alive, on whose purple hills and valleys grew such myriad golden flowers of light, from whose heart came this deep, incessant murmur. Could it possibly be the same city through which she had been walking that very day? From its sleeping body, the supreme wistful spirit had emerged in dark loveliness and was low-flying down there, tempting her. Barbara turned round to take in all that amazing prospect from the black glades of Hyde Park in front to the powdery white ghost of a church tower away to the east. How marvellous was this city of night! And as, in presence of that wide darkness of the sea before dawn, her spirit had felt little and timid within her, so it felt now in face of this great, brooding, beautiful creature whom man had made. She singled out the shapes of the Piccadilly hotels, and beyond them the palaces and towers of Westminster and Whitehall, and everywhere the inextricable loveliness of dim blue forms and sinuous padded lines of light under an indigo-dark sky. Near at hand she could see plainly the still-lighted windows the motor-cars gliding by far down, even the tiny shapes of people walking, and the thought that each of them meant someone like herself seemed strange. Drinking of this wonder-cup, she began to experience a queer intoxication, and lost the sense of being little. Rather, she had the feeling of power, as in her dream at Monkland. She too, as well as this great thing below her, seemed to have shed her body, to be emancipated from every barrier, floating deliciously, identified with air. She seemed to be one with the enfranchised spirit of the city, drowned in perception of its beauty. Then all that feeling went, and left her frowning, shivering, though the wind from the west was warm. The whole adventure of coming up here seemed bizarre, ridiculous. Very stealthily she crept down, and had reached once more the door into the picture gallery, when she heard her mother's voice say in amazement, That's you, Babs! Turning, saw her coming from the doorway of the sanctum. Of a sudden, very cool, with all her faculties about her, Barbara smiled and stood looking at Lady Valleys, who said with hesitation, Come in here, dear, a minute, will you? In that room resorted to for comfort, Lord Valleys was standing with his back to the hearth, 
and an expression on his face that wavered between vexation and a decision. The doubt in Agatha's mind whether she should tell or no had been terribly resolved by little Anne, who in a pause of conversation had announced, We saw Auntie Babs and Mr Courtier in Gustard's, but we didn't speak to them. Upset by the events of the afternoon, Lady Vallis had not shown her usual savoir-faire. She had told her husband. A meeting of this sort in a shop celebrated for little, save its wedding cakes, was in a sense of no importance. But, being disturbed already by the news of Milton, it seemed to them both nothing less than sinister, as though the heavens were in league for the demolition of their house. The Lord Vallis it was particularly mortifying, because of his real admiration for his daughter, and because he had paid so little attention to his wife's warning of some weeks back. In consultation, however, they then succeeded in deciding that Lady Vallis should talk with her. Though without much spiritual insight, they had, each of them, a certain cool judgment, and were fully alive to the danger of thwarting Barbara. This had not prevented Lord Vallis from expressing himself strongly on the confounded unscrupulousness of that fellow, and secretly forming his own plan for dealing with this matter. Lady Vallis, more deeply conversant with her daughter's nature, and by reason of femininity more lenient towards the other sex, had not tried to excuse Courtier, but had thought privately, Babs is rather a flirt. But she could not altogether help remembering herself at the same age. Summoned thus unexpectedly, Barbara, her lips very firmly pressed together, took her stand, coolly enough, by her father's writing-table. Seeing her suddenly appear, Lord Vallis instinctively relaxed his frown. His experience of men and things, his thousands of diplomatic hours, served to give him an air of coolness and detachment, which he was very far from feeling. In truth, he would rather have faced a hostile mob than his favourite daughter in such circumstances. His tanned face with its crisp grey moustache, his whole head indeed, took on unconsciously a more than ordinarily soldier-like appearance. His eyelids drooped a little, his brows rose slightly. She was wearing a blue wrap over her evening frock, and he seized instinctively on that indifferent trifle to begin this talk. Now, ah, Babs, have you been out? Alive to her very fingernails, with every nerve tingling, but showing no sign, Barbara answered, No, on the roof of the tower. It gave her a real malicious pleasure to feel the perplexity beneath her father's dignified exterior, and, detecting that covert mockery, Lord Vallis said dryly, Stargazing? Then, with that sudden resolution peculiar to him, as though he were bored with having to delay and temporise, he added, Do you know, I doubt whether it's wise to make appointments in confectioner's shops when Anne is in London. A dangerous little gleam in Barbara's eyes escaped his vision, but not that of Lady Vallis, who said at once, No doubt you had the best of reasons, my dear. Barbara curled her lip. Had it not been for the scene they had been through that day with Milton, and for their very real anxiety, both would have seen then that while their daughter was in this mood, least said was soonest mended. But their nerves were not quite within control, and with more than a touch of impatience, Lord Varys ejaculated, It doesn't appear to you, I suppose, to require any explanation? Barbara answered, No. Ah, said Lord Varys, I see. 
An explanation can be had, no doubt, from the gentleman whose sense of proportion was such as to cause him to suggest such a thing. He did not suggest it. I did. Fanny's eyebrows rose still higher. Indeed, he said. Geoffrey, murmured Lady Valleys, I thought I was to talk to Babs. It would no doubt be wiser. And Barbara, thus for the first time in her life, seriously reprimanded, there was at work the most peculiar sensation she had ever felt, as if something was scraping her very skin, a sick and at the same time devilish feeling. At that moment she could have struck her father dead. But she showed nothing, having lowered the lids of her eyes. Anything else? she said. All that is jaw become suddenly more prominent. As a sequel to your share in Milton's business, it is peculiarly entrancing. My dear, broke in Lady Valleys very suddenly, Babs will tell me. It, it, it's nothing, of course. Barbara's calm voice said again, Anything else? The repetition of this phrase in that maddening, cool voice almost broke down her father's sorely tried control. Nothing from you, he said with deadly coldness. I shall have the honour of telling this gentleman what I think of him. Those words, Barbara drew herself together and turned her eyes from one face to the other. Under that gaze, which for all its cool hardness was so furiously alive, neither Lord nor Lady Valleys could keep quite still. It was as if she had stripped from them the well-bred mask of those whose spirits, by long unquestioning acceptance of themselves, had become inelastic, inexpansive, commoner than they knew. In fact, a rather awful moment. And Barbara said, If there's nothing else, I'm going to bed. Good night. As calmly as she had come in, she went out. When she had regained her room, she locked the door, threw off her cloak, and looked at herself in the glass. With pleasure she saw how firmly her teeth were clenched, how her breast was heaving, and how her eyes seemed to be stabbing herself. And all the time she thought, Very well, my dears, very well. End of Part 2, Chapter 24